The word of God came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come before me. But Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. He found a ship to Tarshish. So he paid his fare and went on board to flee from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and a mighty storm that threatened to break up the ship. The sailors were afraid, and each cried to his God, and they threw their cargo into the sea. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship and slept. The captain came and said to him, What are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps he will spare us a thought, so that we do not perish. The sailors said to one another, Let us cast lots, so that we may know on whose account this calamity has come upon us. So they cast lots, and it fell on Jonah. They said to him, Tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were even more afraid and said, What have you done? They knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them so. Then they said, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know this great storm is upon you because of me. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring the ship back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more stormy. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, O Lord, we pray, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do, make, do not make us guilty of innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked Jonah up and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased its raging. Then they feared the Lord even more and offered a sacrifice and made vows. But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah was in the fish's belly for three days and nights, and Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Then the Lord spoke to the fish, and it spewed Jonah upon the dry land. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim it to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah went to Nineveh, which was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah went a day's walk into the city. Forty days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he made a proclamation. By the decree of the king of his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd or flock, shall feed or drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth and shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. When God saw how they had turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity, and he did not do it. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. 
he prayed to the Lord. O Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah left and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under its shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. The Lord God made a bush come up over Jonah to give shade over his head and to save him from his discomfort. Jonah was very happy about the bush, but at dawn God appointed a worm to attack the bush so that it withered. Then God prepared a sultry east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah, so that he was faint and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Is it right for you to be angry about the bush? Yes, angry enough to die. You are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left, and also many animals. Please join me in Psalm 20, found in your bulletin. The Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your birth sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your victory. And in the name of our God, set up our hands. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Some take pride in chariots and some in horses, but our pride is in the name of the Lord our God. They will collapse and fall, but we shall rise and stand upright. The gospel for today is found in Matthew 12. But he answered them, an evil, an evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so for three days and three nights the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. The people of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they, rep they repented at the proclamation of Jonah and see something greater than Jonah is here. Thank you, Sandy. Thank you, John. Before worship, John had thought it would have been nice as he had the role of God if we had sound effects of thunder and lightning. and That would have been pretty neat. Maybe next time. We'll give it a shot. Now, this summer we are going to be looking at the prophets, uh, Old Testament prophets, of which there are many uh, and which are variously 
harsh and cruel and, and yet gentle and comforting, uh, and, and who offer words of judgment and words of lifting up, words of <coughs> condemnation as well as words of uh, reconciliation. As they speak God's words to God's people to call them back to faithfulness, which is basically what the, a prophet is, someone who speaks God's word uh, and calls people to be more faithful and to be more holy. And the Old Testament contains uh, uh, many prophets. There are 15 of them that have books named after them, but there are also a number of other prophets that show up uh, over the course of the narrative that don't have books of their own. Uh, first, uh, goes all the way back to Abraham. Abraham is given the title of prophet. Uh, in Hebrew, the word is Navi. Uh, Abraham is given this title of prophet in a dream that comes to the king of Gerar. Well, Abraham and Sarah are in his city. Uh, the king has this dream in which God says to him, Abraham is a prophet. Uh, so treat him kindly. Uh, things have not been going quite the way they were supposed to. So Abraham is the first one, at least in the text, that gets called uh, a prophet. And then there are a number of other ones that show up. Samuel, who does have a couple of books named after him, and he's the one uh, that helps to form the country of Israel. He chooses Saul, the first king, and chooses David, who becomes the second king of Israel. There's Nathan, who was a prophet during David's time and part of, uh, part of David's court. Uh, prophets Elisha and Elijah and a number of others. Uh, although out of these, Elijah becomes uh, and is very, very important uh, in the Jewish uh, tradition. You may remember when uh, Jesus goes on the mountain with a couple of his disciples and has that transfiguration. He becomes uh, uh, Moses and Elijah are the two that show up next to Jesus. Uh, and there are uh, times, a couple of times when Jesus asks the disciples, who do people say that I am? And uh, it's reported back to Jesus that some some say you are Elijah, returned to us. Because uh, Elijah did not die. He ascended into heaven. He was taken up into heaven by God. And then in the Passover meals, the Seder meal, the Jewish celebration of Passover, it's traditional in that to leave uh, the door uh, open and a chair empty and a wine glass full in case Elijah were to come back. He would have a place at the table and be able to get in. So Elijah is very important, but Elijah does not have a book named after him uh, and did not write one. Uh, and we're going to be looking at the prophets that have books in the Old Testament. Uh, and there are 15 of them. There are three major prophets and 12 minor prophets, major prophets and minor prophets. Uh, and you may wonder how they got that name. And sometimes in our faith, sometimes in our tradition, things are the way they are for hugely significant theological reasons and very important reasons. You know, the Old Testament begins with Genesis and goes into Exodus and some more narrative to set the tone. It's the story of the beginning and the story of the beginning of the Hebrew people. So it's right that that should be at the beginning of that Testament. And the Gospels uh, or the New Testament is all about Jesus and the church and the first followers of Jesus. And so that begins with the four Gospels, the four stories about Jesus. It makes sense in that way to begin uh, with that, with those four Gospels. But other times in, in the church, uh, some things are just done for practical or simple reasons. If you look in the New Testament, all those letters that come after the Gospels, they're not in any significant theological order. They're just in order of length. 
They were thinking, how do we put these together? And someone had the bright idea, well, let's start with the longest one and then end with the smallest one. Uh, there's a little bit of variation in there, but for the most part, it's just that practical. Uh, and so it is also with these Old Testament prophets. We call them major prophets and minor prophets, but the major prophets don't get called major because of their popularity or the importance of their words. They're called the major prophets because of the number of their words. They have the most. Their books are the longest. Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah have very long books. Major prophets. Uh, and the 12 minor prophets are called minor prophets because they're very short. They have fewer words. Uh, and in the old days when all of these were being written down on scrolls, you know, handwritten on scrolls to be passed around, uh, the technology at the time limited scrolls to maybe about 30 feet, 35 feet, somewhere around there. Beyond that, they just they wouldn't roll right or they would fall apart or whatever. That was about as big as they could fit. And the major prophets fit nicely on one scroll. Uh, and all of the minor prophets fit together on one scroll. Uh, kind of interesting uh, that in, in that day, they, they just didn't have the technology to do that on this parchment. And I thought, well, I looked at the, I have a roll of baking parchment in my, uh, in my drawer. And I thought I was curious how long that was. So I looked, I have 65 feet of parchment just on my roll. Uh, and then I got curious and I, I looked up some others. You can get rolls of uh, butcher paper like you see in the, in the meat departments. Those are about a thousand feet long. Uh, and our scrolls of newsprint that we crank our newspapers out on, I, some of those, eight miles of paper on one roll. That's a mighty scroll. You could have a major prophet <laughs> on that scroll. So we have the three major prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah, and then these 12 minor ones, Hosea, Obadiah, Joel, Habakkuk, Amos, Micah, Malachi, Nahum, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Haggai, and Jonah. One that we read today, Jonah. And Jonah's book is unique. I thought this was a good one to start out with for another, a number of reasons. One is that it's, it's unique within the prophetic literature in that all of the other prophets are books that were written by that prophet or by his followers and pretty much written at the time that that prophet was doing uh, what he was doing. They're all contemporaneous texts, but the book of Jonah is a story about Jonah, but written many hundreds of years later. It's not a, it's not a book that Jonah himself wrote, and it doesn't record really very much of his prophetic words other than that little bit that he says to the city of Nineveh. It's a story about Jonah. And Jonah was a prophet for a few decades, a prophet in Israel, the northern kingdom, from about 970 to 950 B.C., uh, and written probably in the 300s, maybe early 400s, somewhere in that range. Uh, and, and it's a good book to begin with, I think, because it kind of stands out from the others because it's a story about a prophet, not necessarily words of the prophet. Uh, but also because of, of all of these 15 prophets, Jonah is chronologically the first one. Uh, soon after Jonah's time, we get Isaiah uh, and a number of other ones. But Jonah is chronologically also the first prophet. And his story sets the, the tone and the pattern for all the prophets that are going to come after him about how 
this prophetic word works, which is that God speaks to him and says, go uh, and speak to whomever and speak my words. And generally those are words of repentance. That's one thing that prophets do is they call people to repent of their evil ways, of their sins, and to come back to being more faithful. Come back to faith. Come back to following God. Uh, People are often running off uh, after other gods or doing uh, unjust things within the community. And so the prophets offer God's words. And they generally begin with words of calling for repentance. Uh, But it's always in this if-then form. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. The prophets always, it's an if-then scenario. They may profess that there's going to be some judgment coming, but it's, it's always in the form of if you continue to do what you're doing, if you don't repent, then this calamity will come. But if you repent, everything will be fine. Judgment is never a, an absolutely positively going to happen thing. People always have a chance to avoid it by repenting, by coming back into faith. And prophets normally speak, are speaking to the Jewish people uh, in Israel or in, in Judah at the time of the prophets. The Israel is split into these two countries. And so the prophets mostly speak to the Jewish people. Occasionally they speak to surrounding countries or other leaders. Jonah is one that speaks to a different country, at least in this book. Uh, and, and mostly who they're speaking to is, is the government, the kings, uh, and all of their bureaucracy and all the governmental political leaders, and they're speaking to the religious leaders, the priests, those who have power over the religion. And Israel and Judah were both theocracies as well, so government and religion very much intertwined. Uh, and as always happens in a theocracy, it just doesn't work very well. Uh, This marriage of of religion and and government has this tendency to bring out the worst qualities of both. They feed off each other so well and can create such unjust systems, economic ruin and oppression for anyone who's not part of the power structure. The government fails there. Uh, This ruination of the faith and apostasy and twisting of the faith um, just to serve the needs of the powerful, the failure of the religion to protect all people. We see this happening today as well uh, and throughout history. Some of our uh, Muslim countries that are majority Muslim uh, theocracies uh, have some awful things that happen in them. Uh, It happened in Europe under the Holy Roman Empire. It happened under the Nazis when the state and the churches uh, became one thing, and it happens here, even in the U.S. sometimes. You may hear stories of small communities that have a majority, say, Christian fundamentalist uh, population. It can be difficult for someone outside the community to find justice there, or to be accepted in the community, uh, to, to live uh, as God would want them to live. And so mostly prophets are speaking to their own people, Politicians and religious leaders tend not to like that. They still don't. Prophets have a tendency to get assassinated or jailed or ridiculed by the press or harassed by the people. It's very rare for a prophet to be welcomed with open arms by the entire community. And, and, and if someone is welcomed that way, they're probably not being very prophetic. 
And Jonah, though, is, in this story, is sent to the enemy. Uh, Jonah was a prophet in Israel, but in, in this story, he's sent off to the enemy, to Nineveh, the city of Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria, this big country to the north of Israel and Assyria and in Jonah's time was gearing up its military. It was building up economic power, starting to conquer other territories. It was on a big land grab. It was soon to become a, a major power in that region. And, and Israel was very afraid of Assyria because it knew that it could not, if, if Assyria invaded Israel, Israel knew that it could not stand. Uh, and so it was uh, paying tribute to Assyria and it's kind of, in a sense, offering bribes to Assyria for them uh, not to attack, not to come in, not to take over the country. And so Jonah is sent to this enemy capital city to preach to them, to repent. And he goes unwillingly, right? First he tries to get on that ship and head off to Tarshish, which is way, way off on the end of Europe, probably in Spain somewhere, very far away, to get away from God. He finds out that you can't get away from God. Uh, and so it does eventually go to Nineveh, and he goes unwillingly. He doesn't want to go there because, as he says to God, I knew that you would repent, or I knew that they would repent, and I knew that you, being a foolish God who doesn't obey my command, you would allow them to live. You wouldn't destroy them. I would rather die than have them be forgiven. And that's another part of prophetic messages, is God's unrelenting love, that there's always a chance to repent and for God's love to reign. And prophetic words come with a message of reconciliation, that even if the people don't repent and there is judgment or punishment or something brought upon the people, there will always be some remnant that is saved, either a remnant or even the entire people that will be saved so that the people can go on. Because God has made that promise to Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation and that promise still holds and is always held and God keeps promises. So there's always this promise that there will be reconciliation. People will be brought back to God because God keeps promises better than any of us. And God's great promise, especially through Jesus Christ, is this promise of love and mercy, kindness, forgiveness, and eternal life. And Jonah hated saying that to his enemies. Not because he didn't trust God, but I think because he trusted God fully. He absolutely trusted God's word of forgiveness and of mercy. And as much as he hated Nineveh, I think he knew in his heart that God did not share that hate and that God would relent and would forgive, and Jonah would rather die than do that. But he went ahead and did it anyway. He went to Nineveh, called them to repent, and he did. He knew that even the enemies of God were under God's jurisdiction and under God's mercy and God's tender love. And I think that can be a horrible truth for anyone who wants to think that God is on his or her side or on the side of his or her country, or religion, or community, or whatever it is, to know that God is not on his or her side, uh, but on everyone's side. God is for everyone. That's the beginning of faithfulness, 
I think, when we realize that the world is not us and them, but a we. All of us. All of us. And who are, or what are the Ninevehs of today, the enemy capitals of today? Some of the things that are big in current dialogue, birth control, homosexuality, gay marriage, illegal immigrants, Islam. And lastly, as we look at the prophets this summer, we'll also look at how they are used in the Gospels, especially if Jesus makes mention of them. And Jesus does mention Jonah once in the Gospel message that we read. Jesus mentions Jonah being three days and nights in the fish or the great sea monster here. And Jesus said that he will do that as well, except Jesus will do it in, in the earth. Certainly foreshadowing is his time in the tomb there. But then he also takes a jab at the religious leaders of his time by bringing up Jonah. And he says that their Nineveh, the Nineveh of the religious leaders, which is Jesus and his followers, this Jesus movement, that, the, that he says that the religious leaders in Nineveh is going to rise up to condemn them. Because history shows that God's, uh, it was not... God's chosen people who were faithful, or not always God's chosen people who were the faithful ones, but often it was God's enemies who were the faithful ones. And they are God's people too, just as are we. And that is so much the message from the prophets and certainly the message from Jesus. That God is not for anyone specifically. God is for everyone. God is for all of us. And God's love is for all of God's creation. Amen.